0: So the sermon uh, title uh, for this Mother's Day is The Marvelous Mother. And we're going to find the text, and I would encourage you to head over there now, out of the Old Testament, specifically 1 Samuel will be the book. 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses, let's just say 1 through 20. Again, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. So while you're heading over there, uh, yesterday I found my, uh, my wife and I, well, at least myself, I made my way over to uh, Wood Ranch Barbecue to get some dinner. And uh, we got there early. As uh, we're getting a little bit up there in age, we like to get places to be between 4 and 5 o'clock now. We want a little bit of takeout. So as I went there, I noticed that uh, it was a bit lively. And there was an extremely long wait even to get takeout. And then it dawned on me, it's Mother's Day. That's why there's long waits. And I saw lots of laughter, people smiling, cutting up, lively, conversation everywhere that I looked. However, that is not going to be the experience of everyone that's in attendance here on this Lord's Day or those who are watching uh, online. For some, this is your first Mother's Day without your mom. It's your first one. Maybe it's the second. Maybe it's the tenth. But mom, your mom, is no longer with you. For some, Mother's Day it actually can be painful. It reminds you of a miscarriage or a child that died of an illness or a child that you had to bury unexpectedly. Yet for others day, yet for others, Mother's Day is yet another reminder that you have been unable to conceive or get pregnant. And if you were honest today, If you were honest before the Lord today, you would even say, look, it was so painful when I woke up this morning that I thought about staying home to minimize the pain. If that's you on this Lord's Day, whether you're live right now or watching from home, you're in the right place today. You are absolutely in the right place. We're glad you're here and know that we're sensitive to that, and I have been praying for you. Our text, again, is found out of 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1-20. through 20. And again, the sermon title is, The Marvelous Mother. It's a story that may be familiar to you, and it may not. I don't know where you are in your spiritual walk. But it's a story of a woman who is deeply distressed. Literally, the text says, deeply distressed. She's found to be weeping bitterly in the text. Hannah is found to be weeping bitterly in the text. Her her pain and her agony leads her to cry out. And as she does, she asks God to do something. Hannah asks God to remember her situation and to not forget her. She says these words, O Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant. We see that in verse 11. But with that in view, as we consider the text this morning on Mother's Day, and we think and we drink deeply from God's Word about a mother who at this time is not a mother, but wants to be a mother and we see a woman in pain. So let that set up the text as we read God's word together. And once you're there, would you please stand so that we can read God's word together. I'm just going to read verses 2 through 10 and come back to some of these verses. 2 through 10. He had two wives. Let's just stop there. Yeah, you heard it. That ain't healthy. Elkanah, he, he had two Wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penaniah. And Penaniah had children, but Hannah had no children. Verse 3. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and, Hophni, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penaniah, his wife, and to all of her sons and daughters. So portions meaning food. Food. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. Remember, Hannah's without child. To Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Verse 6. And her rival, her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So this went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and, and would not eat. In Elkanah, her husband said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Nine. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorstep, doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, "O Lord of hopes, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will you give to me, will you give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head." So reads God's holy and inherent word. You may be seated. A lot there to cover. But Hannah's journey to becoming a marvelous mother was much like the psalmist's words in Psalm 84, where the psalmist says with great clarity, and I think we'd all be in agreement, that all of us travel on a road, and the believer travels on that road to Zion, and that road is no easy road. It's got some big bumps, that road does. It's a bumpy ride every time we get on that road. The road of life takes us through numerous valleys. Bumpy, yes. However, according to the psalmist in 84, blessed are those who dwell in your house. Blessed are those who sing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. They go from strength to strength. So the marks of a marvelous mother, the marks of those that are faithful to the Lord would be another way to say that. And according to the text, are simply this, that Hannah in this context is persistent. Let me give you three Ps. Persistent. She's prayerful. And she praised. She praised. She's persistent. She's faithful. I mean, she's prayerful. And she praised. Let's start with Hannah is persistent. Hannah needed to persist because she had a lot of stuff in the road that could get in her way and stop, stop her from running her race. Hannah had a rival. The other woman. The other wife. Panea, she, she, this Pena, she this second wife, was oftentimes, I should sit me go back, Oftentimes, in this culture, in this history, this context, a second wife would be taken in the case of a childless first marriage. Not always, but that was very common. But polygamy was never God's perfect plan. Okay, polygamy is a violation of God's design for marriage, as it says in Genesis 2:18 and Genesis 2:21 through 24. And Peninnah was critical. You ever know someone with a critical spirit? She was critical. She was insensitive. She was jealous. And she was just flat out mean to Hannah. Yet Hannah is found to be persistent in her pursuit of God. And we see that in verse 7. It says this, so it went on year by year as often as she went up to the house of the Lord. She used to provoke her. But notice it went on year after year after year. This kept happening, which means Hannah kept showing up. She's persistent. She was provoked, yet she persisted. She was in pain, but she persisted anyways. Sometimes our Lord, He will send to us someone with the gift of encouragement. I'm looking at two ladies right now. Tony Stabile and Miss Fay who have the gift of encouragement. So does Ron Gallerini. Not always, but he has it most of the time. Sometimes he's got to speak some hard truth to this knucklehead. But she's persistent. And sometimes the Lord sends people to encourage us because He knows that we need it. And praise the Lord for the Barnabases that represent, represent God's people. You see, The gift of encouragement helps people, God's people, to persevere. But sometimes, and this is really odd, I think we see it in the text today, sometimes the Lord allows a person with the gift of discouragement. (laughs) You go, that's not a gift. No, I didn't say it was a good gift, but it's a gift. Some people have the gift of discouragement. Don't leave me up here, I know you're thinking of that person right now. And they just always want to share a few words with you. I'm just being real with you. As they unload. Some find the need to unload all their barrels and just give it a good dump. And you're left there going, what in the world was that all about? You think Hannah's husband, I read the text to you, do you think Hannah's husband missed it in this text? Now, by the way, it's, it's hard for maybe many of you to go, well, he had two wives. You know How godly could this guy be? He's actually very godly. He's a man that would go each year. And he would honor the Lord. He would pray. He would take his family uh, to pray and worship. He wasn't perfect, that's for sure. But I would say this, that Hannah's husband... Absolutely stepped in it, missed it in verse 8. Let's look at that. Hannah, it's her husband. Why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Why is it not why is she sad? She she wants a baby. And she's getting needled by his wife. And then he says to her, Am I not more than ten sons? Not good. Or what about Eli, the priest? Eli, the priest, who watches Hannah walk into the temple. And in her distress, she is crying out to God. She's praying to the Lord. Yet Eli, the priest, doesn't even recognize what Hannah was doing. He assessed the situation wrongly. And we see that in verse 14 as Eli the priest. imagine having a pastor like this. Hey, are you drunk? Are you drunk? Eli the priest was obviously way overly judgmental. He completely missed the point. The irony in all of this, just a side note, is this man, this priest, Eli, He has two sons. And these two sons are very fond of a drink. And they've actually got a problem, but we don't see that he ever addresses them. But he finds the need to address Hannah, who legitimately is crying out before the Lord. Sometimes people miss it. They miss what's really going on. They miss it. He wrongly accuses Hannah. And it would just seem here in the text, that Hannah is surrounded by people who bring her discouragement, yet by God's grace, she perseveres. And she's also persistent in her prayers. Jim Cimbala said this, Persistent calling upon the name of the Lord breaks through every stronghold of the devil, for nothing is impossible with God. For Christians in these troubled times, there is simply no other way no other way of what we must call upon the name of the lord so we see she's persistent she's prayerful jim simbola also says again you know the apostles when we look at church history we read scriptures they always had this instinct think of the apostles in god's word when they were in trouble they prayed when intimidated they prayed when challenged they prayed when persecuted they prayed they were always praying Anything, anything, church, and I mean anything, becomes a blessing if whatever it is we're going through drives us to prayer. Trouble, problems, conflict, pain is one of God's great servants because it reminds us how much we need the Lord. If it's driving us to prayer, Know that God is using it. He's using it as part of the sanctification process. It is making you more like Him. She's prayerful. Hannah prays in verse 10. Follow with me now. Verse 10. She was deeply distressed. Hannah was. Hannah was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord. Deeply distressed, prayed to the Lord. And she wept bitterly as she's praying to the Lord. Follow me. And she vowed a vow, and she said, O Lord of hosts, and that's a unique word. That is recognizing the sovereignty of God. That is recognizing that this is the Lord that controls everything, the cosmos, everything. This is, this is the Lord. So that's an intentional word. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but I will give to your servant a son. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall touch his head. Verse 12. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. This is Eli the priest. Verse 13. Hannah was speaking in her heart and only her lips moved and her voice was not heard Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. Verse 15, notice the response. Listen, if this is me, I'm I'm giving this guy a piece of my mind. How about you? But not the godly, not those that are in control. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. That's how she responds to Eli, who misdiagnoses the the situation. He couldn't be further from being in agreement with what was actually going on. He's missed it. You see, prayer is our means of access to the all-sufficient God who alone can meet our needs she knows who can meet her needs you see it's one thing to tell the Lord about our burdens it's one thing to tell the Lord about our burdens. it's quite another thing to cast them upon the Lord so says first Peter 4 7 prayer is it's laying a hold of a living God. Prayer is laying hold of a living God who understands our deepest needs. That's one way to describe prayer, and that is certainly one way that she would describe it, meaning Hannah. Notice that this prayer is a fervent prayer. It's not a frivolous prayer. It's fervent. Her, her pain has driven her to seek God with power. Yes, it's been painful that her rival Paniah has has said a lot of things about her. I could see as Elkanah as he offered up that double portion as he was looking after Hannah. Could you just see the other wife smirking and making all sorts of comments underneath her breath, or maybe not underneath her breath, just just saying it. Yeah, look at you. Yeah, our man, he gives you double portions of food. You've got the food, but I've I've got the babies. You see, that type of stuff hurts. Even when you trust God, words like that hurt. So I just want to give you a flavor for what she's going through. She's hurt. But yet, Paniah, Paniah, we see her, she, she doesn't seek God. We don't read in the text that she's one that's seeking God. But we see that Hannah is seeking the Lord. Because Paniah didn't have a need. There's no need for her. She's got what she wants. There's no need It's a bigger issue than what I've stated. You see, we can look at this mother that we're holding up today on Mother's Day. Obviously, she's an example for us to follow. But being a godly woman, being a godly man, being a Christian does not exempt us from suffering. Of these two women that are in context here, clearly Hannah was the more godly and it's not even close. Yet, Hannah was the one with the problem. Not the one acting the fool. But remember this, Hebrews 5.8, as we've gone through Hebrews verse verse by verse this last year, even Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Hebrews 5.8. Why is that? You see, problems are God's gracious way of training us To be like God's Son. Problems lead the believer to prayer. And that's what it's doing for Hannah. It's bringing her into the throne room of grace. She's prayerful. She's persistent. And we also see that she praised. That she praised. Scripture declares that after Hannah poured out her heart to the Lord we see something in verse 19 that I think is helpful. It says, they, the entire family, they rose early, verse 19, they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. She praised. Now it's easy to praise when prayers are being answered and being answered quickly. And we should certainly praise the Lord and thank the Lord when prayers are answered quickly. And the prayers go the way we want them to go, which isn't always bad, by the way. But but Hannah is praising the Lord even before the prayers that she's praying are being answered or have been answered. Look at 19 again. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah his wife. So Elkanah knew Hannah his wife. They were intimate. And the Lord remembered her while they were intimate, verse 20. And in due time, and in due time Hannah conceived and she bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. She did. The text tells us that the Lord remembered Hannah, but it also says He remembered Hannah in due time, and she conceived and had that son. This is exactly what she's been praying for. It's not a quick answer to prayer, but it's exactly what she's been praying for. In due time, yet God answered in due time. What does that even mean? It means in due time. He'll do it in due time. When is that? I don't know but he'll do it in due time, or he may not do it in due time. He sits in the heavens and does what he pleases. But she continues to praise the Lord. We get another glimpse of this. I can't read it today, but if you you look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we see her praising the Lord yet again. This is after the fact. She's praising Him. She actually sings a hymn of praise to God what that is in verses 1 through 10 in chapter 2. It's a psalm that exalts the God's greatness. It exalts God's greatness and it shows the frailty of humans. It shows a human's weakness because she's weak and she's needy and God is strong and mighty and she wants that to be an emphasis. The theme in her psalm there in verses 1 through 10 that as she sings it is that God works through the weak, not the strong. It's a song that says, take your problems, take your pain, take all of these things and let God turn them into promises. But yet always be praying, God, your will be done. Again, Hannah's prayer is purposeful. It's a purposeful, purposeful prayer. Hannah's prayer was specific Intercessory prayer is what's going on here. Intercessory prayer is when you're praying clear, specific prayers. You're praying on behalf of somebody. You know you got something to deal with, and you're doing battle, and you're begging God to intercede and to help you. Help your friend. Help those who you're interceding for. Her prayer is specific. So specific that she says, I just I want a baby. And then she says to the Lord, I want a a baby and I want to raise him in the ways of the Lord. I want to give him back to you. I want to shave his head. And that was a way to set the child apart like he, he belongs to you. To be ye separate. On the front side, I give him to you. Not on the back side. I give him to you now. That's why I want a son. Hannah had her priorities right. You can always tell when someone has their priorities right because your prayer and your priorities will always determine your purpose. And so many have a purpose. And it might be cute. And it might ring off of your tongue. But if it's your purpose for your life and it's not God's purpose for your life, it's a bad plan. But we see that she's purposeful. Her prayer and her priorities determined her purpose. But rather than Hannah, this mother that we are holding up in high regard on this Lord day, notice that she's not praying, oh God, if you would just give me a son or a daughter, you know, I, and, and I'm going to pray over that son or daughter, that, that that son or daughter would be rich or successful. No, pray scripture over your child and trust that God will place your child where he or she is needs to go that's a priority that's right you see we know we are praying the will of god when we are praying from the word of god i want to know how i can pray or have more purposeful prayers well then pray from the word of god pick one scripture and just start repeating it cry out to god to that. allow god to intercede and help you with your prayer life just pick up god's word and start there Moms that are here today, grandmas, those who function like a mom or a grandma, never underestimate your prayers for your children. It's working. It's working. Even if you can't see it. Even if you can't see it. The other day I... I made a phone call trying to get one of our appliances fixed. It was a handful of weeks ago now, but it was a dishwasher that we've had. This dishwasher has never worked properly. It kind of works. Having a dishwasher that kind of works is kind of not helpful. It doesn't work. So I made a call because we always buy the warranty. And as I called, the phone was answered immediately. You know, the, the lady kind of just, she kind of sang a song when she answered the phone. Well, hi, how are you today, you know? And I thought, okay, well, a little over the top, but I'll, I'll take it. I just want to get help. I just want to get my dishwasher fixed. Tired of it leaking, causing all sorts of problems. And the nice lady, I told her what I needed, and she goes, oh, I got you. Do you mind if I place you on hold? and Again, she's singing it, and we're going to be right with you. And I was like, yeah, praise the Lord, lady. You do that. Looking forward to getting this handled. I waited and I waited. And then I waited some more. And I kept waiting. At this point, I was thinking I'm going to be 80 years old by the time they come and help me. But it was really interesting because they kept playing this little recording in my ear every minute or so. And it talked about how much they valued my business and how much they value customer service. And I kept thinking, no, you don't. Because you're not helping me, they put me on hold. I, I literally, one of the the, the recording it was the same one. Like you're you're important to us, and I kept thinking, man, what, what would you do if, you, if I wasn't important? What type of, what type of customer service have for that person? I'm scared to ask. So I waited so long that I really thought they forgot about me, or maybe they went home. You know, and sometimes it would seem that God puts us on hold. And He makes us wait. And then we go see a brother or a sister in the church, and they say, you can trust the promises of God. You can gown on it. It's like a little recorder going off. You're like, well, I ain't feeling it. I'm not seeing it. But praise God, it's not what we see, huh? It's what we know. It does feel like at times that God has forgotten about us. That He's put us on hold. That's how Hannah felt. Just like you. Just like your pastor. She would pray year after year after year. Remember the persistence part? However, she did not conceive. And yet the pain intensified. You think the pain gets easier with age? No. It intensifies. And it intensified to such a level where she went and she laid it at the feet of her Lord. So tired was she, so much pain was she, that she couldn't even get the words out of her mouth as her lips just babbled. That's why Eli thought she was drunk. You ever been that tired before where you can't even utter anything? Yeah, that's where she's at. Hannah couldn't see the big picture. You and I can't always see the big picture. Sometimes we want it to be our timing, and we've heard this a million times. I'm going to tell you something that you know you own it, and you'll say, Pastor, I already know that. Our timing is not God's timing. But doggone it, how come your pastor is struggling with that? Because we all are. We all struggle with that. We all want things now. Remember, give me, give me, give me, my name is Jimmy. Keep it fast, Lord. Keep it moving. Answer my prayers. You see... But God is teaching us something through this text. When God puts you on hold, don't grumble about it, like I just did. You can trust Him. You can trust Him with your pain. You can trust Him with your deep, dark secrets, pain, things you would never tell anybody about, you could bring it to Him. You can trust Him with your prayers, no matter how ugly, no matter how tired you are. That's the point. We pray, we praise, we persevere. That's what she's doing. You may feel helpless, but you're not hopeless. You may feel helpless, but you're not hopeless. God is on the throne and He sees and He hears and He responds to His people in due time. Some are saying, you know, Pastor, I've been praying this prayer for so long. Some of you mothers that want to be mothers and you can't seem to get pregnant or whatever it is. Maybe it's a business situation. Whatever it is, the principle's the same. If you're thinking to yourself, where do I even start? Start with the problem and cry out to the Lord there and trust in due time. The preacher was sitting in his airplane seat and he was reading a book on heaven. When the lady next to him started a conversation and was very interested in this book on heaven. It was a book on heaven and assurance. She says these words to the preacher, You mean you can know that you are going to heaven? The preacher, realizing that a door had been opened, began to tell her about Christ and he reinforced that we can know for certain our eternal destiny. Saying this, We can afford to be wrong about many things, lady, but not about going to heaven and not about who's going there and how to get there. You can't be wrong about that. He was right. So she said, How can I be sure? How can we be sure? The church, the, the truth is this that we can be sure that God answers prayers, we can be sure that God will help us to endure to persevere, and we can be sure about where we will spend eternity. We can know with certainty that, with certainty that when we die, we will go to heaven. But how can we be sure is a question I've said for the second time. Many people, many of you, struggle with the certainty of your salvation, especially new believers. How can we know, another question, how can we know where we stand with God the Bible teaches us that assurance of salvation rests upon that the assurance of salvation rests upon three unshakable pillars. 1 God can't lie. 2 Jesus paid it all. 3 New life in Christ. Let me walk you through a couple of those. God can't lie. Again, we're talking about assurance. Assurance to know that you know where you're going to spend eternity. Assurance is based on the absolute trustworthiness of Scripture. Throughout the New Testament, we read God's promises to save all who will believe upon His Son. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a promise. That is a promise. All who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ may have the firm confidence based upon the infallibility of God's word. Jesus Christ said this, hear me. The one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. If you come to Jesus with genuine repentance and faith, he promises that he will save you. We can know Jesus has received us quite simply by this. He said so. He said so. It's a promise. When the Bible speaks, God is speaking. God will save anyone who calls upon Jesus Christ. We have His Word on it. So God cannot lie. We can trust Him. Number two, Jesus paid it all. Assurance. To know for sure where you're going to spend eternity rests on the perfect work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died on that tree, He bore our iniquities. He took our sin. He endured God's wrath and He cried out, It is finished. In other words, nothing else needs to be done. By this He meant that the full atonement for our sins, past, present, and future, have been made. This is His work. Of redemption. This work of redemption has been completed. Our entire sin, our sin debt has been paid in full. This is for the believer. But just as salvation comes from believing in Christ alone, so does assurance. As we trust in Christ's perfect sacrifice for our sins, the certainty of eternal life will, should flood our lives. Hearts. No matter how great, this is for someone, no matter how great your sin is, God's grace is greater still. Amen to that. We should clap about that right now. Amen. The Bible says, come now and let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. They are red like, though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool the third point of assurance that we can know is new life in Christ how do you know that you've been saved new life in Christ assurance comes through the evidence of a changed life ultimately assurance is confirmed within us as we see God conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ we're becoming more like him we're not him but we're becoming more like Him. There's a father resemblance starting to happen. We're looking like our Father. All who have been born again, will, we will see clear evidence of a new life in Christ. We're never going to be perfect, but there's evidence. People will see that we're transformed. I bear witness to Tony Stabil's life. That's the second time I've given her honorable mention. But I see a woman that I've known for a decade, and I've watched her grow in holiness. I've watched her love the things that God loves. I've watched her be honest and authentic as she comes and asks questions. She's sensitive to her sin. I see that in her. The book of 1 John details the vital signs of what it looks like to have new life in Christ. As the Apostle John writes, we know that we have come to know Him in death. It now takes me where I want to. That's a man. But I figured while we had some visitors, we might as well talk about the gospel. But the gospel was woven through 1 Samuel as we see someone who, in Hannah, that no longer put her confidence in herself, who no longer tried to pull herself up by her own bootstraps. But she just said, I can't anymore. So I just choose to lay my life down and to surrender fully and completely to Him. That is the gospel. That's what she did. She was living out what she said that she believed. May we, brothers and sisters, May we do likewise for God's glory. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, we love You. I thank You for every soul that's here tonight, this morning. Every soul that's watching now or in the future. Lord, that You would give every person ears to hear. That You would provide encouragement to everyone who needs encouragement. You will provide you will convict every person that needs to come under conviction. And that through it all, Lord, that we would see fruit, that you would see fruit. And then we'd be stronger because of your word. We love you in this house. And we thank you for every mother that's here. We do pause and say thank you for them. Thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for using my mom, Linda, in my life. My mother-in-law, Jessica, Thank you for her. Miss Faye, who is mom number two. For everyone that's here, we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you.